Don't call it a comeback. Actually, come to think of it, I think it would be perfectly reasonable to call it a comeback. We are, uh, we're going, we're going season two, people. So welcome to season two of Making the Brand. Um, thank you for listening. Thanks for picking it up uh, where we left off five or six months ago. I'm super excited about the interviews that we've already done for this season, uh, about the, the, a lot of exciting companies doing big things, a lot of great founders uh, with a lot of stories to tell. So I uh, hugely appreciate you continuing to listen. Um, I know you've been anxiously awaiting by your podcast app, clicking the refresh um, for this momentous occasion, but we're, we're, we'll jump right into it. We are, this is season two, uh, this is uh, Making the Brand, and uh, here we go. We made a very conscious decision to be there for the casual wine drinker. Like you presented yourself, like someone who likes wine, but I'm not an expert. I think that was an important choice. And then when we figured out what that casual wine drinker wanted, we just doubled down on that. Welcome everybody to the Making the Brand podcast. My name is Billy Draper. I work in early stage venture capital. And on this show, we're gonna be talking about brands. We'll talk to founders and leaders of growing consumer companies that are finding ways to stand out, differentiate, and delight their customers. On today's show, we have Heine Zachariasen, the founder of Vivino. He teaches us about democratizing the wine business and the power of decision-making. So today on the show, we have a very special guest. We have Heine Zachariasen, um, the founder of Vivino. Heine, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. So I like to start out by just simply asking, what what is your product? What is Vivino? Vivino is the world's largest wine community. Um, it was born out of my frustration of not knowing what wine to buy. Uh, so walking into a supermarket, I didn't know what to buy. And so we built this product where you can take a picture of any bottle of wine in the world. And we'll give you the ratings, the reviews. You can even buy the wine now on the platform. So it's an app for that to let you know what wines to buy. And how did you get into the wine business? Yes, because I'm definitely not from the wine business. I'm much more of a, you know, a tech entrepreneur than I am a, I'm a wine guy, meaning I'm not a wine guy at all. So, so it just came out of a, a personal pain, a personal pain of feeling stupid when walking into a supermarket. You know, when I get a DVD, I can get a rating. When I get a book, I can get a rating. Even a taxi driver has a rating now. But apparently wine was going to be this big secret. So we wanted to change that and say, I want to know if this wine with a fancy label is any good or not. And, you know, historically, the industry has been, it's from my perspective, I'm a wine sort of novice, but it's been dictated mostly by uh, reviews of a few specific uh, wine critics, the Robert Parkers of the world. Uh, and I think there are maybe three or four others that have a huge impact on the industry that have a huge impact on the price. Um, this makes a ton of sense to to bring some democracy, I guess, to the wine business. Um, do you think that your ratings over time will start to have an impact on the price of bottles of wine? Yes. <laughs> have they already? Um, I I hope so, I, and I think so. But what you bring up there is is very very interesting because 
you know, Parker, who's this amazing critic, started in the 70s. He's a lawyer from, I think, Baltimore and had a really good palate and was really good at rating wine and sort of uh, invented this 100-point scale. Um, but it, was for the, it's, it wasn't for the masses. It was for more high-end stuff. What we wanted to do is make sure there's a rating on every single wine out there. And we found out that there is, for wine at least, there's definitely wisdom in the crowd. Our ratings are just as good. But the big difference here, the really interesting difference here is that whereas a company like Parker or Wine Spectator can do rate 20,000 wines a year, we get 100,000 ratings a day. So the proportion are completely different. We have such capacity to make sure every single wine in the world is rated. And for someone like me, and probably for the majority of the world, I think I, you know, I don't necessarily care what a few people think about a wine. I'm not sophisticated enough. I don't have the palate to fully sort of be able to pick out the different flavors and the layers. I do care that, you know, most people like it. Yeah, that's a better indicator for me. Um, you know, we live in this sort of five star world, anyways. It's much, it's much easier for me to identify. Oh, or to check to to sort of validate, like, oh, let's make sure this isn't like a two out of five. Yeah, um, which is the power of these decision making platforms in general. I think you look at Yelp or TripAdvisor um, or in the wine industry, Vivino. I think it's become so powerful that it's not just helping me make my initial decision. It's also before I walk into the store. Uh, before I go to a restaurant, I'm going to check Yelp to make sure that that restaurant has above uh, three and a half stars. Yeah. Uh, before I buy, now it's at the point with Vivino, before I buy, buy a bottle of wine, I'm going to check to make sure it's above three and a half stars on Vivino. Um, what is the, what do you, I, I don't know if I have a question here, but what do you see as the future of, of decision making? Hmm. But I, I think back to what you said uh, right in the beginning there is, who do you think you have more in common with? This crowd, these peers that you are that drink wine like twice a week or once a week, or this other person that drinks a hundred wines every day, you know, you have more in common with your peers, and it, it's more likely that what they like you will like too. Uh, so I think the industry is changing right now, and and that doesn't isn't all about wine. It's about every single product out there, uh, and the new generation coming in. Uh, are, they're acting differently. They're actually willing to try new things. And there are many reasons for that. But one of them is because there are platforms where they can look at it and say, okay, this looks fine. I haven't tried this before. But in my hand, I have access to the information. I can make a decision do I want this buy uh, wine or any product or not. And that's a change. And a new generation born with their smartphones in their hand, they're doing that right now. Have you thought about filtering it even further? I think one of the things that I've always thought that a feature that that Yelp should add is, you know, a, let's say a, um, you know, a, a Chinese food restaurant that I love may have a uh, three stars uh, on Yelp. But for people, uh, for males between 25 and 35, it gets rated a, a four plus, yep. right? That's relevant information for me as a as a user, as a consumer, as someone who wants to go to that restaurant. Is is wine the same way? Do do tastes change over time? Is, am I more likely to like a, a a sweeter or a bitter wine today than I am in the future? Or have you done any sort of research around around different demographics of wine lovers? Yeah, yeah. So definitely, what what you're drinking now, you're not going to drink five ten years from now. 
Okay. So so that changes, and the, the old story is, no matter what you do, you always end up in Burgundy. I don't know if that's true, and <laughs> that's why it's so expensive. But uh, but that's what they say. So yes, that changes a lot. So if you look at what Netflix has done in this space, uh, a few years ago they just had ratings on on you know it's a three point eight, it's a four point nine, but they've changed that now so they have a percentage. And that is not a generic percentage. That's a percentage for me or for you. And that's the direction we want to go. Like, we'll have an overall rating for this wine. But this one, Tim, is a 97% for you. Uh, and that varies. And that's going to change over your life because at some point you're going to end up in Burgundy, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I, I look forward to that. I don't know a lot about Burgundy. Um, and And how do you – one of the challenges I see with this sort of product where – I imagine a lot of your business comes from referrals to selling the wine uh, to online wine stores, to big sort of wine distributors. How do you handle the leakage from the app? So let's say a, a use case of someone who goes, they have a great wine that they love with a meal. Um, they, they remember, hey, I, what was that called? What was the year? What was the variety? And they go, they check Vivino, it's a 43 and then they decide to go to Bevmo and just buy it in person. Yep. How do you handle where, where I, I imagine you generate a lot of revenue from those referrals, how do you keep that in-house? Yeah, so I think that, that's, a, that's a very uh, good question. First of all, you know, our prices are pretty good because we'll have multiple retailers on there usually, right? So there's a good argument for that. Um, but apart from you know, price, supply, convenience is a big factor for us. Uh, so convenience matter. We're fully integrated with Apple Pay and Google Pay, which means that while you're sitting at that restaurant, you can make that purchase in two clicks. So it's amazing from a convenience point of view. And then we do other things like, you know, you see all your purchases inside the app. So it becomes uh, a really good experience overall. But we have to compete like that. Uh, just to go a little bit backwards, like the old scenario was that you had an iPhone, you took a picture of it or you took a note of it, then you had to Google it. And either you forgot about it or there was just so much friction you forgot it. It just didn't happen. And now that being fully integrated, you're much more likely to get that wine. And how did you come up with the name Vivino? Yes. So that's a, oh, wow, we can do a full episode on that. No, it's, uh, finding a name is, is tricky, right? I, uh, at the point, there, there was no money and I really wanted a .com domain. Uh, so I tried all kinds of variations and just sort of, structuring things and at some point this idea about hey viva vino or something like that you know it can be used internationally and so on i looked at the main the domain and i got it at a pretty decent price and uh, so it was a bunch of random uh events that got me to that name was there any strategy you used for the purchase were you saying oh i'm starting a small mom pop shop that you know whatever <laughs> was it or was it owned by someone who just flips domains uh, this was, I think, a private person, as far as I remember. Uh, but my biggest strategy here is do not fall in love with anything. Right. Meaning, like, you got to have three, four, five candidates. And the person that comes back with $15,000, you just ignore it and go to the next one. Right. That, that, for me, has been the best strategy. It's a great name. And it feels, it's very quick. It, you, you assign meaning to the name, which is yeah. something we talk a lot about on the podcast, is, is didn't have any, I don't, I mean, I had never heard that word before. And then you hear it, and it's very easy to remember something. Wine, it was an app, uh, this and that. I always think about Acura. Acura yeah. is, is not a word, right? No. But, but it's a brand, and you quickly, it sounds like something a little fancy. It sounds like something high quality. Um, Vivino is the same way. It's very easy to remember Vivino, uh, wine, grapes, vines. You know, it sort of works 
uh, I've, you've picked a great name, basically. Thank you very much. Thank you. And then how have you funded the business? So we've been um, all the way through the, the tech ecosystem. Uh, we started up in, in Europe. Uh, the first person we got on board as an angel was uh, Janus Fries, a Skype founder, uh, someone we knew already. He's from Denmark. And um, he liked us and loved wine. And that apparently was a good cocktail, and he, he got us going. Uh, but then we, we've gone through investors in, uh, in Scandinavia, uh, we got Creandum from Sweden. Uh, we got Balderton uh, from London. And then the B and the C have been led by industry people, the wine industry people, actually. Uh, a guy named Christoph Navarre led the last two rounds. So we raised a total of $57 million. Was any of it from U.S. VCs? No, not yet, no. no oh, wow. No. And you're based here in the U.S.? I am now, yeah. I moved out here five years ago. I think um, wine is interesting in that sense. I think... Um, uh, I think some VCs over here see wine like only an NBA club. It's something you do after you made your money. It's not something you make money of. Right. Uh, so I, I don't know if we struggle a little bit with that, but wine is a category which has been struggling in the tech. There's a lot of uh, wine uh, tech companies that haven't done amazingly well for the VCs. Right. Yeah. More of a lifestyle thing or a, yeah. Even some that have been funded and really didn't get to the billion dollar valuation they wanted to get to. Yeah, I think. And, and a lot of the friction points have probably been the reasoning for that. Like you've removed a series of friction points with being able to take a picture of a bottle, being able to pull up the app very quickly. And whether it's to search or to buy or to uh, uh, classify, um, I think it's it is a seamless experience. I recommend it for anyone who's hasn't downloaded Vivino. Yeah, and and um, and a quick note on that: a lot of the businesses that have been built in this have relied on building some supply and then paying for demand. So the difference is that we have 34 million users on the platform, so we have a massive amount already. That's why we think we, you know, better odds at succeeding. Where are you finding your customers? Yeah, so so again, that's where we were very privileged because we're not finding them; they are finding us um, every single day. Twenty thousand people install Vivino organically just through word of mouth. Uh, so so we're very privileged in that sense. Do you spend at all in marketing? No. Wow, that's crazy. That's yeah. a great position to be in. It is very privileged. We're very spoiled. Yeah, you get yeah. to spend money on team and R and D and making the product better and all that stuff. You don't need to, you know, blow it all on marketing. Exactly. Incredible. Um, and, and how do you think you, uh, you were not the first wine app, as you mentioned, um, and you will, you know, hopefully be the last, but there are a bunch of apps out there. People are downloading all sorts of apps to track their wine, to buy wine. Um, how do you manage the competition? How do you differentiate? I think, uh, I think we made some really, really important decisions early on. Um, with where we focus, I think you know, for any startup, there's a lot to, you know, where do you position yourself? Who who is your target audience, and so on. So when we launched Vivino in 2010, there were 600 wine apps in the App Store, roughly, and there're probably more now. We made a very conscious decision to be there for the casual wine drinker, uh, like you presented yourself, like someone who likes wine, but I'm not an expert. Uh, I think that was an important choice. And then when we figured out what that casual wine drinker wanted, we just doubled down on that. And what we found out is that what people want in their core is, is this a good wine or is this a bad wine? So what I need when I walk into a supermarket is this particular wine, I want to know is it a 3.2 or a 3.8. 
And we focused everything on building the best possible data. And I think that's one of the main reasons why we won the game. And when you when you were thinking about the um, the rating system, uh, sort of the natural fit is five stars. Um, did you have any other creative thoughts about how else you could rate things effectively? Definitely. And we, we get a lot of pushback on that, right? Because the industry says, what are you guys doing? There's a 100-point scale. Right. Uh, but that comes back to the decision that the 100-point scale does not make any sense. It's a, it's a weird scale that actually goes from 50 to 100, but they only uh, tell you if it's been 80 to 100. So it's a strange, strange scale. But the, 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 the casual wine drinker knows the five-star scale from everywhere else. So we made a very conscious choice there saying, yeah, that's it. Actually, we had it before that. We had a small thing we tested where we just did thumbs up and thumbs down. Yeah. Uh, so we tested that too and said, oh, wow, that's a lot of engagement. We're actually worried about going to a five-star, uh, five but, but it, it worked out really well. One of the things I've thought a lot about is, is five-star has worked really well because um, you, know, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. It's very clear. It's very easy to remember. It's very easy to understand where things should fall in different categories. It would be interesting to see if, if anyone could have any sort of success doing more of a and who knows, there could be all sorts of issues with this, but a favorites only method. So let's say you limit the amount of votes that you're able to give and you say, hey, you only get three tokens that are allocated towards cabs. You get three tokens that are allocated towards uh, Pinot Noirs. You get, a t maybe you have a total of 50 tokens and you they're, move they're consistently moving. So rather than looking at what is the average vote of, of everyone who believes in this wine? You have how many people is this their absolute favorite yeah. wine? I always thought it'd be fun to sort of mess with that. Yeah. You don't want to limit, I mean, you, especially on a consumer app, you don't want to limit any piece of the business, but that feels like something that could be different and people would really have to be thoughtful about where they put their vote. Yeah, I think, so it, it's kind of strange because rating varies a lot from category to category. Uh, we are um, relatively fortunate in the way that people actually use the scale, like the full scale. We have really good distribution, and we don't see this 1-5 thing that a lot of others see. Uh, so, for instance, Yelp, they actually put a different weight on different users. We don't do that. Oh, wow. We do a complete average. Everything we do is average, and we'd love to have keep it as clean as long as we can, as long as we just know that the outcome is good. So we, we look at the correlation with other and make sure there is distribution. So just an average is fine for us, but there are other categories that need things like what you just said before. Do you have any uh, power users, people who are, who are doing you know 50 wines a week or anything like that? We have plenty of those, and thank you very much for that. Yes, a lot of them, and they do amazing notes and stuff so yeah and they you know we have a social component to the app too where people can like and comment and so on and there's especially a group that really engages with that yeah do they get to build their own personal reputation in the space is there anything to allow or are you thinking about things to allow sort of more social interaction of of maybe the next robert parker comes from your app Yes, definitely. And we, we've definitely changed lives in that sense. Like people that have 50,000 followers on Bavino get invited to all kinds of places around the world. So yes, we're definitely creating some amazing influencers there. Are there people with 50,000 yes. followers? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a powerful position to be in, in a big industry. Exactly. Um, and what, uh, how big is the company today? 
we're 100 people. Uh, we are uh, 50 people in Copenhagen, 30 people here in San Francisco, and the rest is spread out. We're active commercially in 12 different countries. And you, about six months ago, stepped down from, from your CEO, CEO role. Why was that? I think I've been doing it for eight years. I think there was, uh, you know, you got to see when when is it, is someone also better in, in doing the job than you are? And we found this amazing guy who had done this before. And something I generally learned in building a startup, find somebody who's done it before makes it a lot easier. So that was one of the big reasons. I need I need a little bit of room too, I think. It's been, it's been a long time now. And my wife said, hey, maybe you should cool down a little bit. If I can, I don't know if that's possible. What did your current CEO do before? He came from StopHub, so he built their marketplace from a, not a small marketplace, but to a multi-billion dollar marketplace. So, so he's really built a marketplace in an industry that's different, but also very complex like this one. So um, amazing operator. We're super excited and work well every day with him. And are you still, how involved in the day-to-day are you now? So th- the, that's the thing when you, when you do this. You have to, when you get someone really senior in, you have to let go like you got to make room for that person so so what i do now is different things i do what i'm doing right now i do a lot of evangelism i do a lot of podcasts a lot of press a lot of conferences and then we have some sort of uh, more creative strategic projects that i help with obviously on the board too so keeping me pretty busy still what else are you working on in your free time you just opened up a bunch of your week that is true, right? So uh, I, I found out that I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a founder, right? So we are kind of obsessed and we need something to be obsessed about. So at some point when, when Chris, our new CEO, started taking over, I, I started thinking, oh, we need to fill this up quickly or I'll just fill it up with something else, which I'm not going to like. So I started doing some, some YouTube videos and just giving back to the startup community and uh, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've started this channel called Raw Startup, and I've done like 20 videos. I tell you the first ones are not that good, but they're starting to look like decent videos now. So it's been amazingly fun, I must say. And yeah, so for anyone out there who wants to learn about what it's like to be an entrepreneur, various tips, uh, check out the Raw Startup on YouTube. Um, So what would you, sort of looking forward, what would you hope or what would you consider to be a successful outcome for, for Vivino? Yeah, I think um, anyone who's building a company really should think mostly about building great products and great companies and think less about outcomes. Um, build something that is sustainable and so on. But, but we want to be you know, the biggest and the most trusted a uh, company in the wine space, meaning this is where I go if I want to buy a wine, either to buy it or get information about it. Um, and and it's going that direction, and we're crazy excited about that. Do you ever see it getting into making wine? Um, I, I'd say a definite no on that. Uh, for, for one simple reason is as long as we were an authority on ratings, and so even though we don't rate ourselves, our users do, but being a platform for that, I think it's problematic when you get into making wine. That's a good point. Um, and and what's some advice you would have for an entrepreneur sort of just getting started today? I guess you've been giving this on the raw startup as well, but <laughs> if, give us a little, a little tidbit. Sure. Um, I think um, one thing that has helped me quite a bit is, is don't overthink it. Just do it. Um, 
there are a lot of smart people, you know, I, I'm not going to sound like Trump, but I'm a reasonably smart person, um, which isn't always an advantage when you're a founder. Uh, smart people can find a lot of problems and reasons not to do things. And sometimes you just got to do it. And I think that's that's important. Just do it. Don't overthink it. I think that's great advice. I have been given that advice many times. Uh, what? Uh, now we'll get into some fun questions. What is something, you know, you, you've, you've opened up some free time on your schedule. Uh, what is something that's on your bucket list? Personal bucket list. Yeah. Um, honestly, I'm just, I'm really weird in that sense, I must say. I'm, and that's also why I need to throw myself over something else. I'm really in the moment and focused on what I'm doing in the moment, honestly. So, uh, so I'm still like very obsessed by Vivino and by this thing I'm doing on YouTube. So, and I feel privileged that, you know, uh, with my family, we, we do travel. I'm, I'm so privileged all around that I feel like get a lot of the stuff that I want to do, I get them done. So yeah, that's just my weird thinking in that sense. Do you know what the last thing you did that was something that was on your list for a while was? Was there a trip you took? Was there, you know, something you did with your family? I think so. First of all, getting on this podcast obviously is something. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, so one thing that wasn't on my bucket list, but was a big thing for me, I did uh, an interview on the BBC live for hundreds of millions of people in August. Um, that was a lot of fun and like weird. Uh, so, so that was fun. I, I, I'll tell you a story too. When I, I was just over this, uh, this interview and walking down the street in London and, and I walk down the street and I see this big black car coming up and out of the car comes Brian May from Queen, who now is, everybody knows him now, but right. I stopped right up to him and said, Hey, we need to take a selfie. So I have a big, uh, big picture of him with his massively big hair and me, no hair next to each other. So that's two bucket list items in the same day. Exactly. Amazing. How did the interview go on BBC? It went really, really well. Really well. Yeah. That's great. Does yeah. that stuff drive downloads at all? Did you notice an uptick sort of in that area and I guess in the UK broadly? It does. Uh, it does somewhat. But when you reach the size that we have, not nearly as much. I think in the early days, it can really get people going. But where we are now, we can see it, but it's not a big factor anymore. But for credibility and so on, it's super important. If you could choose anyone in the world to represent Vivino, you say you're given, a, I always say, a 30-second or a 60-second Super Bowl ad, who would you choose and why? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, I was going to think about uh, yeah, someone like Obama or Trump, but... Um, so I'm going to jump a little bit here. So we, we've, again, been a little bit spoiled there because ESPN did a long article about the secret wine society in, in wine and a full article on wine. And Steph Curry said, uh, shout out to Vivino. So some of those things have been taken off the bucket list, uh, really. So we've been extremely privileged on, on the NBA loving Vivino. I've heard that there's this whole new NBA, I guess not new, maybe the last five or six years, this culture in the NBA of of wine, sharing wine. You see uh, LeBron is very much into wine, Steph exactly. Curry. Have you reached out to Steph Curry and said, hey, we should work together? Uh, so, so we actually have Carmelo Anthony as an investor. Uh, so that's one of the reasons. I definitely want to give some credit to him. He's one of the reasons why. He's definitely pushed it in, the, in that community. But back now, I had like uh, 90 seconds to think about your yeah, question. Yeah. Obviously, uh, what we think uh, is going to happen is that we're going to be the most dominant force 
in the we're going to be the new wine critic. So we wouldn't mind if Parker came out and Robert Parker came out and said he used Vivino and loves it. The um, quickly back to Carmelo, I heard. I mean, in that article, I think it mentioned he carries on the road with him a, a an aluminum case of six bottles of wine, which makes him probably feel like James Bond every time he opens <laughs> the case. Yeah, I think we all need such a case. Yes, um, and. And do you think the how what's the general reception from the the existing critics of the world? I imagine they might be a little bit threatened by something like this. Have you have you reached out to Robert Parker or anything like that? So we've we've talked quite a bit to the organization behind Parker himself is not active anymore. Uh, he has other people doing it and has sold the company actually. So yes, I think um, some people have been intimidated by it. Of course, even. Uh, restaurant psalms and so on and and they really shouldn't because if you go to a high-end restaurant and have a sommelier there that's amazing right but they should embrace the technology and look at people's Vivino app and say hey what do you like what do you not like and so on so having an expert is fantastic but most people go you know more to restaurants where there isn't a psalm and that's where you need to help right and what I mean I need to ask what are your favorite wines and the way I'll categorize this is um Something under $20, something under $100, and then anything. Yeah. So I, I, as you can imagine, I have gotten that question before. I imagine I so. never answer it, though. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> so, no, I, I live in California now, so I drink a lot of Napa Cab. I love those. Uh, and that's probably the higher... Uh, they're usually pretty expensive to get the good ones. Um, if you do uh, a California Pinot, you can actually get to $20 and get something pretty good. And then I will admit that I really like champagne, too. I love a good champagne. Uh, and it can be a champagne from champagne, but also sparkling wines from all over the world are, are very cool. I understand why you wouldn't want to affect the ratings. but if <laughs> and, and do you drink champagne even on non-celebratory occasions? I try to, yes. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Good for you. That's yeah. great. And then lastly, do you have anything else to plug? Uh, YouTube, everyone check out the Raw Startup on YouTube, um, vivino.com anything else no really i i you know they should go to the app store and definitely try out the app uh, if you like wine you're gonna love it sounds great and i i'm a i'm a happy customer and and i recommend anyone who's starting to uh get into wine or even not get into wine but just wants a general sense of of the wine business it's very complicated to figure out what tastes good what doesn't taste good uh, this is a pretty good place to start, so um, I would recommend it as well. Thank you so much, Heine. I really, really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun, and um, yeah, thank you for coming by in person as well. Thank you very much for having me on. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, to If you haven't already, please rate and subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you choose. Uh, and check out all the episodes on makingthebrand.co uh, to hear some interviews that we have done in the past. And I will continue to update them in the future. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks again, season two. We are off to the races. Love you all. <laughs>